I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of LiveWire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, and then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hey there, welcome to the Best News Podcast from LiveWire, brought to you by Alaska Airlines. This is the show where we talk about what is good in the news, sometimes from a rental car in a cul-de-sac in the <laughs> outskirts of Oceanside, California. Hi, I'm Luke Burbank. Right over there is my friend, Elena Passarello. Hi, Elena. Hi, I think I, right over there is being stretched as a relational <laughs> concept. Where are you right now? <laughs> I am uh, about an hour north of San Diego. Okay. I'm uh, doing a, a TV story for my other job working for CBS Sunday Morning. And, of course, because the Best News Podcast waits for no one. No one. I have stepped out of the television shoot, and I am now in a uh, rented Mazda talking to you about the best news that we saw this week and also the uh, email feedback that we've been receiving of late, Elena. Uh-huh. Uh, as you know... We have a long-running history on the show of messing up the episode that we're on. I'm told this week is episode 17. I don't know what to believe anymore. I don't know. I, I'm skeptical. We were off by one week uh, recently, <laughs> and actually, listener Tim said, since you begged so sincerely, again, this is a troubling <laughs> dynamic that we've developed with the Best News listeners, where it's just all about pity, I am writing to say that I do find it charming that you mess the numbers up. Um, so please keep numbering the episodes, number all of the things, and then pick the numbers at random. That's what listener Tim would like <laughs> to have us have. And then uh, listener Megan is checking in. I'm a wildland firefighter based out of Fairbanks, Alaska. Whoa. Boy, really puts this podcasting job in perspective, Elena. That's where a bunch of eels fell out from the sky, remember? In Fairbanks, yeah, right. Yeah, I remember that from the sly question. Megan says the best news I've heard around the circuit this week is that prescribed fires are receiving more funding. My sense of that is uh, fires that are actually uh, used to help protect the uh, the land. Like the indigenous practice. Yeah. Exactly. Um, there's a term for that that I can't remember sitting in this rental car, but it's like um, low temperature burn or something. Yeah. Uh, it's a traditional form and it's been very effective for many years, and then we decided we knew better and stopped doing it. Um, Megan says, the truly original natives of America understood the importance of fire in nature, and now millennia, decades, and centuries from then, the vision of uh, natural resources is prioritizing the need for prescribed fires. 
I look forward to the show every week. I'm from Tennessee, and Dolly on a Dinosaur has recently become a mantra. <laughs> that was from your story, right? Yeah, the little kid. You got the motivational speaker, five-year-old. You got to be like Dolly oh, on a right. dinosaur. <laughs> That's right. Megan says, uh, I vote that we keep you both as hosts. Hey. <laughs> so now you're somehow, Elena, dragged into this conspiracy out there that uh, someone is trying, maybe it's not, I don't know, that someone's trying to remove me from the job of host and that we need the the people emailing in. By the way, the email is bestnews at livewireradio.org. We need those folks to email in and advocate for me staying on as the host. Now they're also advocating for you staying on as the co-host. Phew, wow. I, I, I felt a little dicey there, but now I feel better. Thanks, Megan. Our jobs are uh, safe yeah. for the moment, Whew. hosting the show. Speaking of which, what is the best news that you saw out there in the wider world this week, Elena? I don't know if you could get farther from Fairbanks, Alaska than Atka Bay, Antarctica, but that is where my best news comes from. <laughs> don't those touch on the other side? Is that one of those things where they're so far away from each other that they, if you just, maybe not. That's not how globes work? No, okay. I think they're almost, almost, not quite. We, there's a ways north as to go. As far but, as, they're at the poles, basically. Yes, they're the polar, opposite polar opposites, yeah. Um, I mean, right. not necessarily. There's a bunch of stuff in between Fairbanks and the North Pole. Don't, don't at mm-hmm. me. Don't make me lose my co-host job. Uh, letter writers, <laughs> but but um, I don't know if this has happened to you, Luke, uh, because you're not on college campuses that much. But my college campus is one of a few who, over the past two years, have adopted these delivery robots. Have you seen these things? I have seen these robots on the internet. I've seen them kind of just tooling around college campuses, and I have to say, were I in college and that were available to me, there would have been many a night after imbibing some sort of thing out of a keg where I would have been calling that robot. Oh, yeah. They are. Uh, <laughs> incessantly. They are busy robots, I tell you what. And they're <laughs> all over the place. And, um, you know, kind of half cute, half sinister, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Right now they're just delivering food, but I feel like they're going to be teaching my classes pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel a little better about these. I, I guess you call them like unmanned or unpersoned uh, robot Autonomous. Yeah. Little kind of roll. They're like a rolling cooler is what they look like. Yeah, 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 yeah. Speaking of cooler, uh, in the much cooler temps of the South Pole, there are, there's a huge colony of emperor penguins, Aptenodites Mm -hmm. fosteri. And they're beautiful. Did you have to look that up or is that the kind of thing that you just know? Oh, I looked it up. I shouldn't, I should have, I should (laughs) have found a way to fib, but I looked it up. I love emperor penguins because they are the top predator of that ecosystem, which means that you can learn a lot about the ecosystem itself by the ways that um, this particular species thrive. And they exist in these gigantic colonies of thousands of penguins. So they're really hard to monitor. And the other thing that makes them hard to monitor is that they exist at like four degrees Fahrenheit on shifting ice flows, half in frozen Mm. water. So humans can't really, you know, there's no like deer blind for for penguins on the Antarctic ice. So they have developed a robot named Echo, who's a three-foot-tall, yellow, mobile robot that has a kind of a detecting system inside it, a receiver. 
And there are 300 little baby emperor penguins that got microchipped because they're easy to handle and humans can get in there without disturbing the rest of the colony. So among the thousands of emperor penguin robots, there are um, just a few hundred that are going to spend their lives being trackable by Echo the robot. And the CNN report has all these pictures and videos of this adorable little yellow robot just tootling around. <laughs> and the penguins don't even care. And it's the cutest stuff you've ever seen because it's this Wally looking yellow robot just tootling around the Antarctic. <laughs> and the little baby fluffball penguins, they don't even care. They're like, oh, that's just our brother. He's He is a hard outer shell, but he's wonderful on the inside. <laughs> but the cool thing about this robot project, this was the end of its first year and it was considered a kind of a trial year. They've got some bugs that they need to work out because Echo needs to be able to withstand colder temperatures and also um, could be a little more durable in terms of rolling on certain uh, terrains. That's what I was wondering is like that must be some very burly tires on that thing. It's one thing to, you know, zoom around the University of Arizona campus bringing someone a Quiznos. It's another (laughs) thing to be like in, you know, the South Pole rolling around uh, on all manner of ice and glacier. Yeah, it's a little tiny thing, but the wheels or the whatever you call them on it look like they would be on like a caterpillar excavator or it's something. It's a monster truck of autonomous. A teensy-weensy cute little monster truck that doesn't scare baby penguins. And, and it also serves an incredible purpose because these penguins, um, the way we don't know enough about how climate change is affecting their livelihoods, but we do know that there might be as much as a 98% reduction of the species in the next 75 years, which is the opposite wow. of best news. But the good news is because Echo the robot is able to get so close to them, it can monitor feeding patterns migratory patterns, how long they go between having to uh, get food, uh, a bunch of things like that, distribution, how far apart they spread. And all of those things, um, if they're monitored over the lifetime of a penguin, will teach us about how climate change is affecting this apex predator in the ecosystem, which will teach us more about the ecosystem itself. So I never thought I would be saying this because whenever I see those robots around my college campus, I'm kind of freaked out, but go robots. (laughs) (laughs) You heard it here first. And in case this is, you know, being heard in 40 years, as they said on The Simpsons, I would like to be the first to welcome our robot overlords. Yes. <laughs> robot walks into a <laughs> bar, a... <laughs> orders a drink, puts down a bill. The bartender says, hey, we don't serve robots here. And the robot says, oh, but one day you will. <laughs> David Berman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is a that's an ominous joke. I just like the mushroom one. You know the mushroom one, right? No. Mushroom walks into a bar. Bartender says, sorry, we don't serve your kind. And he goes, what? I'm a fun guy. I can't believe that was the mushroom one. How, who doesn't know that one? That That's not even a dad joke. That's like a great granddad's chair joke. At least it's not ominous like your robot joke. <laughs> that's true. Um, <laughs> the best news that I saw this week takes us to, well, really to the um, hotels of America. Have you ever had this experience, Elena, where you check into the hotel, uh, maybe you're just there for a night or two, and you got to take a shower. And so you you get that soap and you take it out of its little hermetic seal it's a little whatever it's in plastic kind of wrapping Mm -hmm. and you use it and then you look at the soap and you realize i have barely made a dent in that thing like this i have like used one percent of this hotel room soap and now it's just done for Mm -hmm. 
It's a, a very wasteful feeling, but what are you going to do? Well, a guy uh, by the name of Sean Sepler was traveling in 2008. He was working in tech, and he was just spending half of his year in different various hotel rooms. And he had the same thought one night. He was wondering what happens to all of this hotel room soap that we just sort of gently use. Um, and so he, when he got back home to Orlando where he was living, he was in a hotel room in Minnesota when the um, sort of inspiration struck him. He started calling around to some hotels in Orlando and asking them, um, hey, what are you doing with all of your like gently used soap? And they were mm-hmm. like, we're just throwing it out. And he said, could I come have it? And they said, um, I guess. <laughs> like, sure, weirdo. Uh, whatever, whatever, whatever you want. So he started going around and collecting up bags of this used soap because he had also been doing some reading about various developing countries where you have one statistic is um, up to 9,000 children a day are dying worldwide from diseases and things that are related to lack of access to water and soap. Mm. And so he thought, we've got all this, we've got thousands and thousands of pounds of this soap, and there are people all over the world that could really use it. What can I do? So he goes around to all of those, like, hotels in Orlando that will give him their leftover soap, (laughs) and he bags it up, and he brings it back to his garage, and he gets his friends to come over, and basically they feed, this part sounds kind of gruesome, but they feed the soaps into a meat grinder. Mm Mm-hmm. And, well, first, actually, I'm jumping uh, the, the story here a little bit. The first thing they do is using a potato peeler, they peel off the outer parts of the soap. So that, like, the parts of the soap that have maybe touched someone's body, we're going to get rid of that. We're going to just kind of, like, peel that off with a potato peeler. And then the, the, the leftover sterile soap, if you will, they feed into a meat grinder. And then they kind of pulverize it and turn it into this, these sort of stringy, goopy things that they can then reform, put into soap molds let it cure overnight, and the next morning have brand new clean bars of soap that they can send around the world. Cool. Now, the problem was the economies of scale of this were not great. Like, Sean and his, like, four buddies doing this, they mm-hmm. were they were working hard, but they were not actually creating mm-hmm. lots and lots of soap. So they decided they needed to actually try to ramp this up and make a bigger kind of, um, you know, sort of assembly line for all of this. So... They reach out to the Gates Foundation, which seems they write for a grant. And you would think. <laughs> Talk the, about zero to 100. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, they were like, okay, we need to scale this up. So they think, okay, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, they're really well known for all this great work on, um, you know, malaria and mosquito nets and things that will improve the lives of people living in developing parts of the world. So they send off to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation for this grant. And he says, Uh, I heard back within eight minutes of sending in the application online that they were rejecting it. And it also said, please do not reapply for three years. (laughs) So they were not, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation was not overly um, uh, taken with this idea, but this guy was undeterred. So he figured out this other approach, which was, what if we got hotels to actually pay a small fee? So between like five cents per room or maybe up to a dollar per room per month. And for that, we will send them this whole sort of kit that gives them a place to throw their used soap and that then helps them easily ship their used soap to where we are or one of our processing plants are. 
And um, they can then, first of all, this helps with the overall carbon footprint of the hotel. The hotel can take some credit for helping out in places that need the help and also helps them get rid of their soap. So it kind of reduces their overall garbage bill. So since they started doing this back in 2009, they have now processed like 13 million pounds of hotel soap and sent it all over the world and have really like greatly improved the lives of folks in places where they previously didn't have access to soap. Now, the other thing that's happened, though, since the pandemic is that a lot of these hotels have switched over to, you know, the like the thing in the shower now that's just like you press your hand down on it and it like puts, you know, like liquid soap. I have one of those in my guest shower, <laughs> my guest bathroom. <laughs> but the labels, the only labels that came with were in Spanish. So it says like uh, El Bañador instead <laughs> Instead of soap. <laughs> <laughs> I, this is an interesting message that you are sending to the visitors of the Carl's Jr. Fashion Plaza. That's right. That's my house. <laughs> so is that just because you had reached a point where you were kind of like, I'm tired of refilling the soap in here? Like, how did you end up with this very kind of industrial approach to the people staying in your in your guest quarters. It's a tiny little fiberglass shower with no places to put anything. Ah, so I smart. had to I had to improvise. <laughs> and I was like, in hotels, well, this is what they have. So we'll go the hotel route. But it sounds like when hotels went the hotel route after the pandemic, it posed a soap issue for this particular service. It did, but now they've they've actually expanded it to where if you go there by the way, this place is called Clean the World, this company that this guy uh, Sean had set up if you go to their website, Clean the World, they will actually send you a kit at home where if you have like, you know, those like the little slivers of soap oh, yeah. that are too small to work with. But I again, I literally feel bad send like, you know, throwing those out. I have at times in my college days when I was a little less well-resourced, let's say, mm-hmm. smashed oh, yeah. multiple small I totally slivers together. I still do that. Like that's, that's just called being a good adult. Just just make the sandwich and then get it kind of wet yes. and then like like mold it in your yeah. hand like yes. a votive votive candle. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so if if for some reason you don't want to do that or you'd like to send you can actually put those slivers into this kit along with other unused toiletries and send them to clean the world. And they've actually been getting tons of people sending in their stuff post pandemic because you're right, Elena, the the amount of stuff they were getting from the hotels is kind of dropping as more and more hotels switch over to the kind of, um, you know, liquid soap and, and liquid shampoo kind of model. I will tell you, this was maybe the most dazzling detail from this story. It turns out not all hotel soaps, when you combine them, are like the best combination. They've also figured out <laughs> the best different kind of soaps to go together. For instance, the Macau oatmeal bars that you could get at the Holiday Inn, those pair particularly well with the Taipei Bliss Bars that you would get from the Aloft hotel oh, chain. nice. So they're like Somali, they're like soap, soap maliers now at this place. <laughs> soap maliers. <laughs> I knew you would like that. They, I, that's not from the article. I just made that up on the fly in this rental car. Perfect. Um, but they are like experts now at combining all the different kinds of soaps uh, with the kinds of soaps that they work best with. So the fact that uh, there is actually a second life for that hotel room soap that, that I have been feeling bad about throwing out is the best news that I heard this week. Hey, coming up on the radio show and podcast this Friday, we are celebrating 
Mother's Day and sharing some incredible and moving conversations that we've had with guests over the last few months regarding their mothers, including Michelle Zahner, who you might know as the musician Japanese Breakfast. She's got this memoir out, Crying in H Mart. You might have heard about it. It's about food and her late mother and how they bonded over food. Then Kiara Alegria Hudes, who co-wrote the musical In the Heights. Uh, she's going to talk about how her Puerto Rican mother's use of English helped shape her, Kiara's, Pulitzer Prize-winning career. Then we're going to hear some music from soul artist Maria Massa with a song about her mother, who she was estranged from. So we're going to really try to cover kind of the whole range of of maternal experiences on the show this week. That is coming through on this very podcast feed this Friday and on a public radio station near you this weekend. All right, before we get out of here, we've got to thank the team who makes this show possible week in and week out. Laura Padden is our executive producer. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sevchenko. And our assistant editor is Trey Hester. Special thanks to our intern and chief good news finderer, Jonas Myers. Molly Pettit is our technical director and mixer. She makes the show sound so good, even on weeks that I'm recording from inside of a Mazda. Our theme music is composed by A. Walker Spring. Thank you to all of you, our listeners. Again, if you want to drop us a line, it's best news at livewireradio.org. Till then, we will see you very soon. In the meantime, please head on out there and have the absolute best week. Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with, with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, Reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, Thank you so much. If you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.